Good afternoon, traders, and welcome to Stock Market Movers, where we get you all the headlines and, of course, get you to the expert opinions. That's what you guys want to hear from. You know, I can talk about this market all day, but there's nothing like getting to the experts on out there. Today, we got a great show for you guys. We're going to have Chris DeMuth, hedge fund manager at Rangeley Capital. If you know, we've been talking to Chris and following what the Twitter situation. And wouldn't you know it, Twitter halted today. Find out a little bit. That's going to be at 1.15. We'll talk a lot about what's going on in that situation. Stay tuned for that. And then at 1.45 from GL, uh, GLJ Research, uh, we got founder and CEO Gordon Johnson. We're going to talk to him on a bunch of questions. The overall market, the Fed outlook. We'll take a look at some solar, some uranium. And of course, we won't miss talking about Tesla today. So stay tuned for that. That's going to be at 145. We got a great show for you. Topics today. We got the Jolt's job opening, the 10-year Treasury yield. We'll take a look. New policies coming out on semiconductors. Don't miss that. I definitely want to catch that. Foxconn and Apple, Berkshire Insider Buys, Rivian, MasterCard, Micron, definitely getting out some news. Twitter, of course, coming in. Gilead and Ford News on out there. Let's get into today's show. Stock Market Movers, I'm your host, Money Mitch. Let's get right into it. There are three ways to make a living in this business. Be first, be smarter, or cheat. I can't help you cheat but I can give you the informational edge to help you succeed in the markets. Welcome to Stock Market Movers. All the market moving headlines and expert opinions every day. They say money is the oxygen of capitalism and I wanna breathe more than any man alive. All right, let's go ahead. Let's get right to the show. Let's take a look at the overall market. All right, so SPY getting a little bit of a push up. Looks like we got a rally going and definitely getting on up there towards the 375 today as we make up a little bit of some shadow zone, a gap zone right here from the left-hand side. Now we're starting to get through it. Definitely another risk-off type of day, and I've been looking at the overall market and of course, what were we? Well, we were oversold. We've been talking about the RSI down below 23s, definitely oversold conditions. And it looks like it's been taking about one or two days since we've been cutting through that 23 to really get the spike. Today, we're getting another spike on up. And as quickly as that, the RSI back towards 37 on the daily outlook. SPY having a really great day today. We'll talk about what was hot and what was not. But we do have a lot of headlines to get to, so let's talk about what hit the tape today. Of course, if you guys caught early on at 10 a.m., we did get the Jolt's job openings to come on in at 10.05 million versus the 10.77. And really what this kind of shows us is that this is an actual good news, bad news, good news, right? So the job openings coming on down, what does that do for us? Well, that shows that eventually if these jobs numbers can come on down, we could finally get that little boost in unemployment that the Fed has been talking about. And that, of course, could change on up the outlook for, of course, like everyone wants to talk about today, pivot, 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 right? Well, of course, we need to see inflation come down. But one thing that we could look out for is a weakening economy 
or a weakening labor market. And that gave a little bit of a jolt. Get it? The jolt uh, job openings today gave a jolt to the market as we did get a little bit of a spike there around the 10 a.m. and continued the day. Good news, at least helping out the bulls continue the rally today. And you know how it is right now. Bad news is good news for the market. Uh, Let's continue going. Let's get into, of course, the surprising news on the day was all about Australia's central bank. And I think this is causing money managers to kind of react a little bit quickly versus, you know, hesitant and waiting to see what happens. But Australia's central bank on Tuesday surprised markets by lifting interest rates by only 25 basis points, a smaller than expected hike. And this is causing some to think that we could pivot quicker than others, right? Trying to catch up towards the other banks as they're showing signs of weakness. But one thing that I would clearly point out is that we haven't shown this sign, right? We haven't shown signs of slowing down on the interest rates. We haven't shown signs of truly turning around on inflation. Yes, inflation is coming a little bit down, but is it coming down fast enough to even consider about pivoting? At least from what we got in in the recent data, That's not what we've been seeing. And so this is what I would say to focus on. But like always, you guys can make your own determination of what is the bottom in this market. But I would say keep watch on inflation until that turns around. I don't see the Fed turning around. And of course, I'm a big believer in that statement that you can't fight the Fed. So until the Fed really starts showing some signs of pivoting, I'm not going to be pivoting as, as well. All right, let's get out of that talk. Of course, pay attention to the 10-year uh, treasury notes as they are keep falling. Let's take a look at how they're trading right now. 10 years at 3.61. So I uh, apologize for the, the update. This actually got up a little bit from this morning. It was at 3.59 this morning. Bounced a little bit, but down from more than 4%, right, at one point last week. This is what we can continue to watch to see if we can get the spikes. As you can see, yields are still coming down on the day today. And if you take a look there, you'll also probably see the dollar index down. And I think this is one thing that we need to keep watching. Will it catch a bounce, though, there around the 110 or 109s for the DXY, the dollar index? This is what I would be paying attention to because I could clearly see a support on that chart. Let's see what happens in the next couple of days. Can for some reason we actually have a spy day where we're going up and the dollar going up? This is what I will keep watching. And if this dollar does spike, will we get that next down move quickly in the spy? All right, let's keep going towards the headlines that are out there. One headline to keep watch, of course, is the U.S. with Uh, comments like this. The U.S. is set to unveil fresh policies here on Thursday aimed at choking off China's access to advanced chip making manufacturing technology and the chips themselves. Efforts to this date have included notification letters to chip companies and tool makers advising them on new limits on sales. I think in the long run, this is a bigger topic that we all as investors should be paying attention to because there's going to be a massive war for the battle of chips. Of course, we're trying to give things like the Chips Act, right, where it gives more money to moving things. And then we get mentions like we got today from Micron, Micron stepping on in here in the middle of the 
a kind of the, the pre-market action goes and tells us what they're pledging for a hundred billion semiconductor factory where in New York, right? This shows us more and more what I think we need to keep watching here in this industry as we keep developing and battle more with China. The question, of course, will this cause inflationary pressures? I think it does cause massive inflationary pressures if we keep going away from China and having this deglobalization mentality. This is the mentality that's taking over, of course, because of the pandemic and what we're going through with the energy crisis right now. But I think it's something definitely to keep on watch because if it keeps going further and further towards this trend of deglobalization, what will that do for inflation? Of course, if we make everything here, it's going to be more expensive than we could if we're making it in China because we all know how the labor issues in China kind of play into this. Let's move out of the overall talk. Let's go more into some micro outlook as we continue going in the day. All right, let's get out of that talk. Let's go towards Apple supplier Foxconn coming on here. Let's take a look at how Apple's trading on the intraday action. Let's take a look at the 15 minute as it tried to make a new high. And of course, it did push on up a little bit today, but couldn't hold the gains. Now we're coming back for the open. Opening price I have at 145.03. Right now we're at 144.77. So be careful as Apple slowly starts leaking into the red now apple apple's supplier foxconn stepping on in here they maintain their full year outlook but one of the things that could be affecting apple today is a comment that said cautiously positive on the outlook for the fourth quarter of course the battle now begins on what is going to happen with the demand for the iphones this is something that we need to keep on watch we will see what happens with this demand. What will Apple say? Will they pre-announce? Will they actually confirm anything from the Bloomberg report that came in last week? We need to keep our eyes on Apple to see what happens here. All right, getting out of the Apple supplier talk, let's keep going. In about two minutes, we're going to get into our first interview where we'll talk about Twitter. I know a lot of people want to hear about it, so stay tuned. We'll get into that in just about two minutes. All right, let's go towards the next headline here. We'll go towards a quick one. Let's go to Rivian as it's having a decent day today. Uh, Rivian getting a little bit of a bounce here. And what happened? Well, Rivian said they produced 7,363 vehicles in Q3 2022 and say that they're on track to deliver 25,000 annual production guidance that was previously guided there. And so meeting some of that guidance is going to be very important because there's other companies in EV that keep telling us how they're struggling to have to deal with the supply chain issues, right? And so Rivian getting a little bit of a lift today in the intraday market. We'll see if this can continue. Of course, I think in the long run, Rivian is one that I'm keeping in mind. I've seen their trucks, you know, I just recently saw another one in New York City. And I think at the at the long run, this truck seems to make sense more with the trucks that we see nowadays, right? If you compare maybe a cyber truck, that's it's a very futuristic design, right? Maybe some people call it from Mars, but I think when you look at the Rivian truck, it looks very similar to like a Ford F-150 or a Chevy truck. So I think this is going to do well in the long run. The question is, how long will it take there, right? And so we'll see what happens in Rivian. I think this is a story that I want to keep a watch on. I'm not an investor yet, but something that I'm definitely keeping an eye on is Rivian. 
All right, getting out of the Rivian talk, I want to get into our first interview today. Like always, one thing that we've been trying to do is keep up with Chris Namuth as we talk about the Twitter situation. He's been helping us keep up with some updates. And wouldn't you know it, today uh, Twitter halts and we're going to get Chris on. It couldn't be anything better than today, our planning. So let's get into our interview. All right, Chris Amuth, hedge fund manager here at Rangeley Capital. Welcome back on. How are we doing, Chris? Good. Good to be here. Yes, yeah, great to have you on. Now, first thing I want to do is talk a little bit more about your investing strategy, you know, especially when we're talking more on the long side. What does it consist of and why? Sure. Uh, we are value investors. We look to underpay for the future free cash flow of what we're getting, but we're also event-driven. So in addition to looking at fundamental opportunities, uh, which often really dictates how we size and the type of positions we own, uh, we look for corporate events to unlock value. So mergers, acquisitions, spinoffs, um, so quirky opportunities where price discovery gets just slightly more complicated and where we find more opportunities to find bargains. Now, let's talk a little bit about how the Twitter situation is unraveling here. We do see Twitter halted right now on news pending. We saw kind of mentions out there that Musk said to propose Twitter to proceed with the deal at 5420. What do you think happening right now? Well, uh, it's very hard to come off of the original deal uh, for a couple reasons. Uh, one is that it was already an ironclad contract. So if you have an ironclad contract with somebody uh, for $54.20, it's very hard to accept less than that because uh, it's unclear how they construct a new contract. What do they do? Do they offer to pinky promise uh he already had a tight contract and he has to do what he said he'd do and it can be enforced in delaware and it was going to be enforced in delaware um but 5420 wasn't as bad as it could have been for musk uh he had the uh possibility of uh pre-judgment interest uh, he had the possibility of other liability and he was going to be deposed Thursday or Friday. And at that point, he would have to decide whether he wanted to tell the truth or lie. And either case would open up to massive liability well beyond this deal. So instead of being put in the very precarious for him situation of being under oath, uh, he's just going to pay. And the deal will close Friday or Monday for 5420. And I accept his terms. So it feels like he got put into the hot seat, right? Or was going to get put into that hot seat. Or he put himself in the seat that he was in. Yeah, uh, right. Uh, and, that, and that was the deal. Yeah, and I think that, you know, from the very beginning, it seemed like this was going to go through. It didn't seem like there was really a way for Musk to get out. I mean, everyone wants to talk about the bot situation, but I don't think that that was going to be kind of a winning premise here for getting out of the deal. Do you think that that could have been? A premise that actually gave him a little bit of leverage? None. Uh, no, it was a situation that he was well disclosed before the deal. And so when you're looking at making uh, contractual claims, you have to start looking at like what you thought you were getting into. Uh, so the direct evidence in the press release uh, and other 
evidence surrounding the time, and then even more so uh, once we got into discovery, was that uh, he, it was thought to be a problem at the time. It was specifically a problem he was interested in. And uh, uh, it was beyond that just a pretext. Uh, uh, Tesla traded poorly. The market was weak. He didn't want to pay what he originally offered. Uh, he kind of was in a manic phase when he made this offer. He changed his mind later. And so he was looking for a pretext. Uh, the first problem with the pretext is that it was something that was known at the time of the contract. Uh, once he had his own uh, data experts look at it, they came up with answers that were pretty similar to what the company uh, had used. Of course, obviously it goes without saying, if you change the denominator, you can change numbers. So there's some thought, well, maybe this isn't even a good measurement. Okay, well, that would be the kind of thing you could change uh, if you end up owning it, uh, which you will shortly. Uh, so Monday or Tuesday, that would be a good time uh, after the check clears to uh, make such changes. Uh, but then the other problem is once he tried to get out with that pretext, all of his subsequent pretexts have the problem of dirty hands, which is he has not lived up to his side of the contract. Uh, he, uh, in doing uh, what he did, coming up with kind of fantastical reasons to get out, he was not living up to anywhere close to his duties under the contract, which then makes it impossible really to come up with all of his other novel theories for getting out of it. So um, it was uh, not a good legal case. I don't really think it was intended for the uh, chancellor. I don't think it really was a legal case. I think it was kind of antics for the sake of his followers who forgive him anything. Uh, it helped prop up uh, Tesla shares, because the more they thought he wouldn't need to dump Tesla shares, the more he could dump Tesla shares at higher prices. So do you feel that Elon was a winner here or a loser? I think almost everybody can win here. I, I think that the chancellor was fantastic and should be skyrocketed to the Supreme Court. I think Twitter shareholders uh, clearly will uh, win. I think Twitter's board and chairman uh, held fast. Uh, we certainly encourage them to do so. I think that they negotiated the price masterfully. I think uh, Elon paid a very full price, but boy, he's known what to do with stocks trading at very full prices in the past. And he's created a lot of sensation. I mean, I think of him as the 21st century P.T. Barnum, and that's not intended necessarily as an insult. Uh, P.T. Barnum made a lot of money at the time and entertained a lot of people. He kind of a lot of his uh, Crimes were victimless crimes. And I would say the same thing uh, about uh, Musk. Uh, uh, and so people enjoy following him. They enjoy his antics. Uh, he'll, probably, he'll probably make a lot of money on Twitter. I don't know. Now let's talk about new shareholder activist efforts that we're starting to see targeting major companies out there, uh, trying to get them to step back on their respective political agendas and focus more on shareholder value maximization here. Absolutely. No, I think this is a really interesting development. Um, for years, we've had top corporations get increasingly interested in ESG, uh, uh, non-strictly economic measurements and focuses for their companies. And they have more recently been really egged on by a lot of the top uh, asset uh, accumulators, uh, most specifically BlackRock. Uh, but others as well. Uh, and the pressure has really been very, very one-sided uh, in the kind of internal uh, debates and controversies around should companies get 
invest in politics or not, and if they should, which side should they come down on, has been a debate where once they talk to the largest shareholders, they're really encouraged to, one, uh, kind of have this dual mandate of maybe make some money for the owners, uh, but mostly really you know, get involved in these political debates and do so in a, a very uh, kind of progressive uh, bet, with a very progressive bet. Um, interestingly, these managers tend to really focus their ESG activism in the US. And so many of them have large investments overseas and sure stay quiet when they're talking about, uh, for example, uh, People's Republic of China, where a lot of them have competitive businesses that they've invested in. Uh, but more recently, uh, we have a, uh, a kind of development where uh, a new shareholder activism is coming in and has the antithetical view that one, um, you should stay out of politics and more generally two, you should maximize shareholder value. Uh, the shareholders are the people who own this. Uh, uh, if you wanna get into politics, uh, two good solutions would be enrich the shareholders and then the shareholders can do what they want with their balance sheet. Or these executives in many cases make tens or or tens of millions of dollars, in some cases, hundreds of millions of dollars of compensation, uh, use your own money uh, for your own political views, but don't use shareholder uh, money for your political views. Um, it doesn't necessarily represent them. Even when it represents BlackRock, it doesn't represent the underlying wealth owners. And it's not what Apple or Disney or Chevron should do. Uh, Chevron should drill for oil and gas. Uh, Disney should delight people with their movies and their parks. Uh, Apple should make technology that people want to pay at a price they're willing to pay. And that's a perfectly good job and leave politics to the politicians, uh, to the voters, uh, to the wealth owners. And if the executives want to get involved, they should use their own money. Now, it seems like we are coming to an end of the era of the free money, right? And the Tina trade coming off here mm -hmm. now. What, how do you feel about this and what's going to move forward as we move away from the free money era? Yeah. Um, so I can tell you on the long side uh, for the past year, we have been very focused on litigation uh, as a place to kind of hide out. Uh, so if you look at our top uh, three positions, by far our biggest positions, uh, including Twitter, uh, they are ones where we are at the mercy of our own judgment and our view about the legal outcomes and the process outcomes for these companies. Uh, but if we're right, we're going to make money. If we're wrong, we're going to lose money. Too bad for us. Uh, but it has absolutely nothing to do with the broader kind of direction of equity and credit markets. Uh, so that's Twitter itself, uh, both uh, options and equity. Uh, Renren, which I think we've probably discussed in the past, ticker RENN, uh, which is totally a litigation opportunity. And then thirdly is AMPI, uh, ticker AMPY, Amplify Energy, which is involved in both regulatory and uh, litigation issues surrounding a pipeline uh, leak uh, last year. We think all the all three of these will be resolved in our favor. We've been very, very involved in each of them. Um, and we think on the long side, this kind of litigation area has been a great place to hide out. Uh, on the short side, the three things that I really focus on kind of over, you know, going back now, you know, I wrote about this publicly for the first time in March of last year, but I was, you know, situated in this in the previous month before that. Um, short, the long bond, specifically I talked about the uh, leveraged uh, 3X TMF 
secondly, new issuances where a lot of the non-profitable tech is stuck, uh, ticker SPAC, S-P-A-K, actually it's gone defunct, but there's other SPAC accumulators of post-redemption uh, SPAC equities and IPO, Renaissance IPO ETF. Um, SPACs caught a lot of flack for debacles over this past year, but IPOs, traditional IPOs were pretty horrific uh, as well. That kind of new issuance bringing to market uh, companies that never have been, probably never will be profitable based on kind of fictional uh, kind of forward looking or maybe aspirational might be a nicer word than fictional, but I'll say fictional uh, uh, economic projections uh, that they'll never get to. Uh, and they made almost no sense during a zero interest rate environment, uh, but they make precisely no sense now that you actually have to pay for capital. Uh, so uh, that's the second area. And then the third area has just been to um, you know follow the con men and women, uh, look at things like uh, ARCs, various funds um, that we had written about as a liquidity Ponzi scheme wherein you uh, raise capital, you stuff it in intentionally uh, illiquid, never profitable tech companies in overlapping funds to drive prices up, to raise capital. It's not a traditional Ponzi scheme in terms of returning old investors' money with new, but it is in terms of uh, using the liquidity from new money to prop up old prices. And it works as long as it works. It's worked less well this year. Um, the, uh, the kind of preposterous uh, performance uh, goals that they caused, uh, you know, had a 0% chance of working when they first announced it, but now it's kind of more and more clearly. So there's a couple other um, similar funds, but I think those were just a convenient aggregator for ideas that almost every one of them would be good shorts in and of themselves, but you kind of get a short diversified basket uh, by shorting those. Uh, so that's kind of the places to hide out uh, in terms of what's next. Um, you know, I think everybody should own I-bonds in their own personal account. You can buy $10,000 this year, $10,000 next year electronically. You can overfund your tax payment by $5,000 and get another $5,000 in a tax refund, which you can kind of uh, ensure that you get and then put it in those. Uh, they're currently yielding 9.62%. I think that's a good um, place for uh, PA, a little bit of cash. And then starting to think about where we go next with the strong U.S. dollar, uh, there are a lot of country markets around the world that are a lot cheaper than the U.S. Um, two that I've really been highlighting as of particular interest to me is if you look at uh, the deglobalization in terms of our trade relationship with China, I've been pretty bearish in the Chinese market. I continue to be pretty bearish in the Chinese market. But if you look at North American and European labor needs. I think just two of the country markets that just jump off the page are uh, Mexico and Poland, respectively, for kind of a post-China low labor cost uh, near abroad uh, country market. Um, the uh, ones to uh, consider just for convenience, and we're going to be looking at much more um, kind of special situation, value investing, event-driven opportunities within those country markets. But just to kind of splash some uh, exposure there, ticker MXF, a closed-end fund that trades at a discount in Mexico fund, and then the Poland cap ETF, EPOL, are pretty good ways just to get some broad exposure to Mexico and to Poland, respectively, 
Uh, they look cheaper than the U.S. If you'd otherwise own a uh, broad-based American index fund like SPY, I think those are two that you could use your currently uh, very valuable U.S. dollars to uh, diversify into some country markets that look really interesting to me right now. I love that conversation and it's something that I'm definitely paying attention to, the deglobalization trend that we're seeing just continue going into. It's something that I think all investors should definitely keep on watch. Now, one thing that I think is interesting is, do you feel like the Fed is really having its moment of the art of suffering with inflation, right? Because I feel like this is a part where they kind of clearly told us that the suffering was coming here. And sometimes you got to go through a little bit of suffering to get through something so that you can have a better upside outlook. What do you feel about that, Chris? Uh, they were remiss in taking so long after the financial crisis in 2008, 2009, kind of the most sober amongst them. Uh, uh, Kevin Morris had said uh, that he would go along with some of the uh, crisis measures if there was symmetry. And I think he was very wise in saying that. So if you claim something's a crisis and so you have to do something, okay. But both politicians and central bankers seem to be very enthusiastic about the fun stuff, uh, overspending and uh, low rates, uh, the, the combination short term of uh, expansionary fiscal and monetary policy is attractive to them, it's, it's kind of the fun stuff, uh, but they never seem to do the inverse, right? We had a decade and uh, uh, it seems to kind of slip their minds that it was not a permanent crisis, but we were kind of left in this permanent crisis mode. So now that it's too late or now that it's very late, they seem somewhat um, sober and adult and are willing to stick with it. I hope that's the case. Uh, but uh, where have they been the last decade? I mean, we could have done this before we got into trouble and avoiding trouble is easier economically, but harder politically because now people know what we're facing. Um, so yeah, no, I think the strong dollar is really driving a lot of the problems that's in Europe right now, but whatever anybody else does, we're so dominant that if the dollar is strong and the US uh, central bank is at least now serious, uh, that does create a bit of chaos in the rest of the world with our trading partners. How do you feel about certain banks and governments seeming like they're going really quickly to that panic button right now um, with the recent moves that we've been seeing, especially from the Bank of England? Sure. Um, I'm glad I don't have lots of direct exposure. Um, I uh, hope that the new government in England has uh, some time to kind of settle in. Um, I would say that I'm most interested in looking at individual M&A targets in uh, the United Kingdom and that with a very strong US dollar, with a very weak pound, it'll be interesting to see how British regulators take to what could be a huge M&A uh, boom of American buyers and uh, British sellers. Well, thank you for coming on. Like always, Chris DeMuth, Hedge Fund Manager at Rangely Capital. I always appreciate you giving us a, a great update on Twitter, and we'll definitely come back to you, Chris. Thanks so much for having me. Nice to talk. Like always. So we're going to go ahead and continue the show. we got a great one for you guys today. Up next, um, we're going to get through some of the headlines on out there. You guys have just heard about the Twitter situation. We just had an update there from Chris. I'll go ahead and take a look at the chart. You can see Twitter is halted right now. Definitely got that spike 
on that news. And we'll see. We'll see when the news kind of comes out, when the unhalt will come. It could take a little while. We'll see what happens here. Um, I'm pretty sure this is just on news pending. So we're going to have to wait. It's not a volatility halt. So we'll see what happens there. And when we get the headline, uh, let's continue going with some headlines that are out there. Let's go to the next headline that I want to talk about, which is going to be on Berkshire. So let's talk a little bit about Berk. Uh, this is uh, Burke B, of course, um, but you guys can take a look at Burke A if you want to. Um, really, this is just all on an inside buy, right? So the inside buy came from, um, it came, let me just scroll up here. Sorry about that, guys. Got a little lost there. Uh, it came from Greg Abel, who is in line to eventually succeed Warren Buffett, right? And so the, why is this important? Well, he acquired another 68 million of stock late last month, according to filings on Monday. The Class A shares closing at 413,300. And now he owns five Class A shares and more than 2,000 Class B shares as of March 6th. And so uh, I think that you need to just kind of keep on watch. Will this kind of be a situation to watch in the long run? Yes, is it something to talk about today? Is it going to make big movements today? I don't think so, but we'll keep moving on towards the next headline. Let's go to MasterCard as they're coming out with some news today. Let's go to MasterCard now. Let's take a look. It is trading on up on this news, and you can see here MasterCard will launch on Tuesday a new product called Crypto Secure. This helps bank assess the risk of crime associated with crypto merchants on its network. The service is... Pro is powered by Cybertrace, a blockchain security startup that MasterCard acquired last year. So not a bad little product that they're going to be able to put out here. I think this is important to see more and more. Um, and we need to try to get around some of these scams that actually exist in crypto so that by the time the next wave comes in crypto, you're not going to have to worry about these situations. So definitely an important thing that MasterCard is trying to do. We'll see how it affects the stock in the long run. Daily chart has it bouncing off to 285, coming back towards the 300. Good little move in the last couple of days, but this has really broken the support around the 315 area. We'll see if it can come back towards those levels. As you can see, the June lows were around 303. Let's see if it gets back towards those June lows. Keep on going with the headlines on out there. Let's go towards the next one. Um, we've already covered Micron, so let's go towards Gilead that had some news out there. So Gilead uh, getting some news. Uh, you can see it here getting some push up there towards 65. Not a bad day there um, as it's pushed on up and kept going. And this was all on also an upgrade uh, from JP Morgan. They upgraded uh, to neutral uh, from overweight, and they raised uh, the price target to 80. They also saw an FDA approval. Kite received FDA approval for a viral vector manufacturing facility in Southern California to produce commercial product. And so here we're getting a little bit of a lift. Can it continue through that 65? We'll see what happens. I mean, it's just kind of one of these charts that I'm keeping a watch. I do like it long-term chart-wise. Now the question is, will it make that run? Um, it's been kind of multiple years sideways. I mean, if you bought this in 2014, you're at the same price. And so that's the hard thing to, to kind of determine. Will this come back up towards the highs that we had in 2015 and 20? Yeah, 2015, uh, or will we break through that long-term support 
and head back towards, let's say, 50. Something to keep on watch. All right, we did get another headline out there that was from Ford, and then in a second we'll do what was hot and what was not. And at 145, get ready, guys. We'll be talking to uh, Gordon Johnson. Of course, don't miss that. That's coming up at 145. I know a lot of you guys are here waiting to hear about that. And if for any reason you have a question for Gordon Johnson that will be coming on up, throw it in the comments. I'll make sure to catch them after I'm done with some of my questioning, and we'll get through it. Let's keep going towards the show. And do us a favor, hit that thumbs on up if you guys are appreciating the show and getting through all the headlines. And of course, getting to some expert opinions to keep you guys in the informational edge. I got the spam in the chat. Let's keep going. All right, uh, Ford getting some headline on out there as it increasing here. Um, and off of a little bit of a spike here, I mean, when you think about it, Ford said it remained strong for its demand, even though sales in September declined. And it was a 16% increase in the third quarter sales compared to a year ago. And we, we also saw GM kind of put out this similar news, right? And it's definitely getting that lift. I think this is also getting some help from a Tesla lift right now. But Ford getting some good push right now. We'll see if this can continue to make moves. And overall, I'm not the biggest component of these EV players next year, just because I feel like, you know, if we're going to go in recession, it's going to be hard for a lot of consumers to kind of make their move to EV quick. We need to get out of that recession and then I'll start looking at these EVs to make their run. But who knows? Ford has been holding on up. If you take a look, we pulled back towards the 11. Talked about that when we were breaking through the 15. Would we get back down all the way to 11? Now we've had that bounce. Let's see if it can make up some of the window to the left-hand side towards the 1274 area. We'll see what happens there in Ford. Like always, it's going to be dependent. And I mean, with the recession coming on up, I just don't know if they're going to be able to continue selling the vehicles that they want to sell into next year. All right, let's get out of that Ford talk. In a second, we'll get into our interview in just about a minute or two. Just wanted to take a look at what was hot and what was not today. So let's go ahead. Let's take a quick peek at the SPY and where we're at right now. It looks like we're at 317.60. We're right by the VWAP right now on the 15. We'll see what happens on the day. Definitely had been getting a rally. If you look at it, I mean, a lot of green, right? Let's take a look at what is leading us from the open. Technology leading us up from the open. One of the major players that I've been watching, right? NVIDIA getting a little bit of a bounce today. But Apple and the major leaders staying into the green today. I think it's definitely vital, right? And so just keep your eyes. Apple is in the red right now. We're going to keep watch to see um, if, you know, Microsoft, Google, if they can keep making the little push on up, we could see this continue. Of course, you can also watch the cues of text leading here to see if this kind of continues strong on the day. But it hasn't been a bad push, right? Let's take a look at what industries are doing well right now. Well, the leading one is software applications. So you guys can definitely watch for some of those names. Uh, some names like uh, Salesforce getting some good lift today. Intuit getting some lift. Of course, these are the growth names. They're getting a little bit of a spike. You see Snow up here, right? You see uh, Unity probably up on the day. And so Arc, you know, getting a little bit of a push. These kind of growth stocks that are in here, a lot of, this, a lot of them are software application names getting some push on up. Now, solar, solar getting a little bit of a lift today. We talked about this move um, and we'll see if this can continue. It's been getting a lot of push lately. Um, can it continue? 
you know, first solar breaking through that high now up there towards 142, 146. Will this continue? ENPH getting a little bit of lift today. Sun power, a little bit of a push. And in a few moments, we'll talk a little bit about run, sun run. We'll take a look at that. Now, can these stocks continue? Of course, a lot of this is going to have to do with the climate can act and what happens in solar overall, but we'll keep a watch on to see if these can keep making runs on up right now. Uh, First Solar is probably the leader, even though I normally look at EMPH, it seems like First Solar is kind of leading the industry right now, and that's in solar. Um, if we take a look at what's down or what's you know not moving as fast towards the upside, at least today, we'd be taking a look at like food distribution, uh, farm products, Defensive names, right? Normally, you don't go to these when the market is getting a little bit of a rally. And you can see today, they're just lagging a little bit behind the market. But that's normal because these don't tend to run as much. And utilities getting a little bit of a bounce back. I've been watching the XLU getting a little bit of a bounce back. We'll keep watching to see what happens on trades like Duke and Nextera Energy. They are trying to come on back. We've talked about the channel that the XLU has been in for a long time. Well, they come right back into the channel and make a move up there. Keep on watch utilities. All right, let's get out of the utilities talk. Like always, one of the things that I want to go to is, of course, expert opinions. Now, why do we go to expert opinions here at Benzinga? Because I feel like this is truly where we have our competitive advantage. Why do we have a competitive advantage over most? Because we can get you these expert opinions and, of course, Give them the floor for longer periods of time. So if you guys have a question by any means and want to ask Gordon Johnson something, throw it up in the chat. That's what I want to see. I want to see you guys take part also. You guys get a chance, unlike other medias, to actually ask a question. So throw it on up there, and I'm ready to get into our interview today and keep with the competitive advantage that we have right here on Benzinga. Let's go into our interview today. All right, bringing on Gordon Johnson. First time on the show. Glad to have you on. I've, we've had you on other Benzinga shows, but truly a pleasure to have you on here on Stock Market Movers. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Definitely. Now let's start it off with a bang. You know, one thing that I've been looking at is we recently just got PCE, right? That came above estimates. What do you think about all these money managers out there calling for a quick pivot from the Fed? Yeah, I mean, I think that's dead wrong. I can't stress that enough. Look, PCE came in way hotter than expected, plus 0.6% month over month, right? The previous month in July, it was 0%. So everybody thought that it was over. Uh, Mary C. Daly was on CNN this morning. She said extremely clearly, she said, listen, we're looking to fight inflation. We're looking at inflation back down to 2%. She was pressed on, you know, is a recession more important? She said very clearly a recession is not more important, which much, which, which, what's much more important is getting inflation down. So you have PCE coming in hot. Uh, that is the Fed's yardstick. That's what they look at primarily uh, for inflation. And that, that most recent number came in hot. You have Mary C. Daly saying today, um, uh, you know, Fed governor, that they're going to fight inflation. That's all they care about. Their dual mandate is inflation and employment, and employment is fine right now. And you have things like credit growth. Look, look, look at credit growth. Credit growth is still 
um, trending positive. It's the, the, the rate of growth has come down, but it's still trending positive. You look at wealth, wealth in the United States. Um, it, it peaked at 150 trillion. It's come down to about 141, but relatively still extremely high. And you look at wages still at record levels of growth. Those are the three things that drive that drive inflation. And keep in mind, the Fed has not every Fed, every Fed governor that's coming out is saying, listen, we are not going to pivot. We are going to focus on inflation. We are willing to have a recession to focus on inflation. Um, and, you know, even when somebody says, hey, they may pivot, the stock market rallies, yields, yields, yields collapse. Um, and, and those are things that will drive inflation. So I, I think they are seeing real time that they cannot pivot. And in fact, they have to be much more aggressive. So I think all those calling for a pivot um, uh, are, are out to lunch, if you will. Um, and I think, you know, think about this, right? Yesterday, the odds of a 75 basis point hike were 59%. Today, 68%. That's almost a 100, uh, uh, I'm sorry, 1,000 basis point increase in expectations on um, a hike, right? So the Fed is further away from a pivot today than they were yesterday, yet stocks are rattling on the idea that we're going to get a pivot. This is nonsense. I agree. I mean, that's exactly what I'm seeing on in the market right now. Now, let's, let's pivot a little bit on over to the solar industry. Now, you know, one of the things that I have a question on is, do some of these companies truly exist because of subsidies that are provided by supporting governments? Not only do they exist because of subsidies, but I think that many have alleged, credibly alleged, that they exist because of, I don't know how else to say it, tax fraud. Um, but I shouldn't say, let me, let me take that back. Basically taking money from taxpayers. And let me explain. Effectively, what a lot of these companies do is for the tax credits they get, which they, so, so, so like, for instance, when, when some of these solar subprime, um, um, uh, cash incinerating science projects, the reason I call them science projects is because they burn money every single quarter. They don't make money. Um, like, 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 um, you know, Sunrun and, and, and SunPower and dare I even say Sonova, what they do is they come to your house and they say, you know, we're going to give you a solar system. You put no money down. We're going to own it. You, you, um, you, you lease it back from us. Um, and th that's their business model, right? So effectively, what they then do is they go show the IRS the cost of that solar system to get the tax credit. But they are grossly inflating those costs based on these appraisers that most of them are either currently engaged in litigation for inflating costs um, or have settled litigation and, and, and basically admitted to inflating costs. And they're showing costs to the IRS that are much higher than their actual costs. Without this ability to do this, in our view, these companies literally could potentially go bankrupt. So that's one dynamic they're doing. But again, in, in addition, without those subsidies, it will be the same thing. These are companies that incinerate gobs of cash every quarter. One other thing, and, and the way that the entire Wall Street values these companies is they look at this MPV value that they show them. So what Sunrun did in 2021 is they took their assumed cost of capital from 6% to 5%. That's when the 10-year was yielding roughly 1.3%. So they're saying their cost of capital, equity plus debt, is 5%, right? They took it down from 6% to 5% when the 10-year was at one4 the 10-year now is at 3.6, and they've left that number at 5%. In fact, Sunrun's zero-coupon debt is currently yielding close to 10%. That's their debt. Equity costs more than debt, and they're telling investors their total cost of capital is 5%. That is nuts. How they are able to get away with this, we don't know. 
Um, but we think they'll have to adjust this. When we do, that means the valuation has to come down. The stock will come down. But it's not just Sunrun. This is, uh, this is uh, throughout the industry of these solar, solar subprime lenders. Really, they're rooftop companies. They don't buy any panels. Um, they don't make any panels. They're just the middle guy. But they're using financial engineering, if you will, to represent money, numbers that are much higher than they should be, in our view. Now, we also have seen a recent pickup in the uranium trade. Do you feel that this rally could be sustained? I think it has to be sustained. I mean, let's just look at the facts, right? If, 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 if Angela Merkel, you know, 10 years ago, wouldn't went down, would not have went down the rabbit hole of, you know, we're going to do as much solar as possible. We're decommissioning all of our nuclear plants. We're getting rid of natural gas and coal. I don't think Russia would, would have invaded the Ukraine because what that did is Angela Merkel's policy became the European Union's policy. They did very dumb energy policy. You know, they replaced reliable fossil fuels with unreliable solar and wind. It didn't work. They doubled down and then they became reliant on Russia for natural gas. Um, and Russia saw that as a strategic play to do whatever they want. And they invaded the Ukraine. And, you know, the rest is history. So that's one problem. Here's another problem. A lot of politicians virtue signal, right? They said we want to do solar. Solar doesn't work um, uh, at night. The batteries are nowhere near um, uh, the level they need to be to be um, uh, uh, cost, cost effective and or reliable. I think in the U.S. with all the battery capacity we have right now, it's, it, 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 would, it, would, it would last for about, I think, an hour or even less of the energy we need if we relied on all the batteries. I mean, think about this, right? In the United States, we spent roughly, I think, $3 trillion on renewable energy I think since 2005. And the percentage of fossil fuels used has dropped from 82% to 81%. So it's just been a massive waste of money. What I'm saying is, in addition to all this is, this winter, because Europe doesn't have reliable energy because they've decommissioned it um, in favor of unreliable solar and wind, when people start to freeze in their homes and or they can't afford food because their energy costs are too high, they're going to vote these politicians out. So this virtue signaling, it just, it just fundamentally can't work because people need energy. So if you, need, if, if you really want to fight climate change and you want to do it with zero carbon emission, reliable energy, nuclear is the only answer. So while you know, we believe you're going to see fundamental improvement this year, we, already start, we think you're starting to see that, I think there's going to be a huge sentiment shift this winter as energy, energy costs skyrocket and politicians look to real solutions to fight climate change. Solar and wind are not real solutions. And you're seeing that with, with respect to Russia invading the Ukraine because the EU became reliant on uh, Russia for power because, you know, they became over-reliant for them on fossil fuel energy. And I think you're going to see it this summer as energy costs skyrocket in the U.S. And unfortunately, people potentially uh, freeze to death in the European Union. All right. Now, I got to say that I completely agree with that outlook. You know, a lot of people sometimes try Come to on, hit man, you, Gordon. Come on, man. You disagree with me. No, <laughs> no. Normally, that's what I was going to say. Normally, you know, everyone wants to try to hit you for your Tesla outlook. But I feel like in this case, you're dead on, Gordon. So let's keep going. Let's see. Maybe we find something where I disagree. Let's All go right. into Kathy Woods, ARK Invest. Now, they just added to their Tesla position. And Kathy right. stated that she plans to move more into more money into high conviction plays like Tesla. How do you feel about this Tesla positioning and overall invest strategy that's coming from ARK Invest? 
Listen, Kathy Wood has been among the biggest destroyers of capital we've ever seen. Um, you know, why she continues to get airtime, it's not up to me to say, but I think, you know, she needs to start being asked real hard, tough questions. I mean, you know, she said, you know, her, her entire thesis on Tesla years ago, and I'll admit she was right on the stock price, but her entire thesis fundamentally was robo-taxis and they've done nothing there. She's been 100% incorrect. Um, you know, when, you know, she's investing in these quote unquote innovation companies that don't make money um, and she's promising, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50% annual returns um, or indicating that that's what she's gonna be able to do when nobody's ever been able to do that in the history of investing. Um, I think it's dangerous uh, to make these kind of promises. And I think that the media needs to start asking her hard questions. Um, and, 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 and that's not just, that's just not happening. So she continues to get AUM. Um, and unfortunately for those investing with her, you know, the, the facts are this year, she continues to destroy it. This isn't me coming down on Kathy Wood. Um, this is just me stating facts um, uh, uh, or, you know, what's happened with her funds. So, look, I, I don't know what's going to happen going forward. You know, if the Fed pivots, I think she'll be fine. I think we'll go back to this, you know, crazy money printing um, uh, uh, environment where money losing stocks are the ones to own. But I just don't think the Fed can do that right now. I mean, you look at services inflation at 6.1%. That's unaffected by commodities. You look at the Zillow rent index right now. It's trending at uh, 13% year over year, whereas CPI inflation, uh, rent CPI inflation and OER CPI inflation are only at 6%. There's a lot of catching up to do. Those are 30, that's 30% 30 of CPI inflation that you're going to see trending higher well into 2023. So this idea that inflation has peaked, I think is wrong. Keep in mind, the SBR drawdown ends soon, right? When that ends, you're probably going to have a tailwind to oil prices. So I, I just don't think the Fed can shift. Um, and, and, and look, Mary Daly, and I'm not, I'm not picking, you, you listen to any Fed governor. They've made that extremely clear. Mary Daly today on CNN, you know, uh, Poppy Harlow said, listen, you know, recession is scary. People lose jobs. You know, you grew up in, you know, she said, listen, our dual mandate is jobs and price stability. And right now jobs are fine and we're focused on price stability. That means they're going to continue going. Um, so I think the pivot folks are wrong. And I think the Kathy Woods of the world, um, until they pivot, uh, are going to be in a world of pain. Now, Tesla just unveiled a look at the Tesla bot on their recent AI day. Could this really kind of distract from Tesla's main business and be more of a distraction than a help to the main business? Listen, there was, uh, I want to read my notes here. There was a uh, robotics engineer who was quoted um, in the Associated Press. He said the, the AI day from Tesla was, quote, a scam. And, and let me tell you what he said. I think this is very important for people to understand. One thing I want to mention, a year ago in August at AI day number two, Elon Musk said, his words were, in a year, we're going to have robots capable of doing, doing human tasks, right? So at AI day last, you know, this past Friday, he should have unveiled a robot capable of doing human tasks. He said, we're not even going to start taking orders for three to five years. So this is another over-promise, under-deliver, or what some would say, quite frankly, lie. I'm not saying he's lying, but if someone continuously over-promises and under-delivers, what do you call it? But I want to say what this, um, this engineer said. He said, on the bots, anyone in the industry will tell you the real elephant in the room is that for these bots to be of any use, they need to be equipped with perception and mobility. 
And that is what we currently don't know how to do. Yes, you can get basic navigation on a flat floor, basic vision, but um, but that is nowhere near even the dexterity of a spider and not even close to any higher animal. We just simply don't know how to do it. It's often called Morveke's paradox, that we make machines with high cognitive tasks but have very big issues truing them to make them understand basic stuff. He says, this was observed 30 years ago, and despite massive progress in the field of computing, really hasn't changed much. So in summary, they have a very bold claim, this is Tesla, and bold claims require extraordinary evidence. What they've shown was a lame robotic demo, and they bragged about solving what everyone in the field already solved years ago, and didn't mention a word about any actual progress in solving the stuff nobody solved yet. So to your question, I, I think it is a distraction, but I think that it's, it's, it's the wrong kind of distraction. If you talk to anybody in the robotics engineering field, I think they'll tell you as much. Now let's get into the main business of Tesla, right? Tesla just missed on deliveries, even though it seemed like Elon was calling for all employees to help. And is this a trend that we're likely to see continue? I think so. Listen, he said it's logistics. And some people have accused Elon Musk of being a pathological liar. I'm not going to accuse him of that. But for him to say logistics is absurd in our view. Let me tell you why. Before the quarter ended, you could order a car in China and get it in one week. You could order a car in the U.S. and get it in roughly four to six weeks. You could order a car in Europe and get it in the same amount of time. There was no logistics issues. In fact, if you go back to 2018, when they missed deliveries, he used the same excuse, right? Just Google search 2018 test logistics issues. The story will pop up. But he said at the time they fixed it with a bunch of trucks. Here's the problem, right? Their deliveries in Q1 were 310,000, right? Dropped to 254,000 in Q2, right? That's a 55,000 or 55,000 unit shortfall. Why? Because their Shanghai plant was down. If you go back to Q2, people at Tesla, everybody in the industry was saying they're going to fully make it up in Q3, right? But they only did 340, right? So you had a 55,000 car shortfall, right? So, if you, so that shifted, that was backlogged, it shifted to Q3. So the 340 number is really 340 minus 55 because that's backlogged from Q2 that shifted to Q3. So really they're at a run rate that is below the record number they did in Q1. This is a big problem for Tesla. Why? Because Tesla is trading at 50 times their earnings when the auto industry trades on average at five times. That means that investors expect Tesla to pay them 100% of their earnings this year as a dividend for the next 50 years. That's what a 50 times multiple means. So if they're not growing, the stock is grossly overvalued. Listen, I, I wanna highlight something. Tesla right now has basically flatlined at 1.3 million cars, EV cars, $66,000 EV cars sold annually which by the way is impressive. That is impressive. But here's the problem. It's impressive for BMW that sells 2 million cars a year, right? High-end luxury cars. But BMW is valued at $45 billion, not $800 billion. So it is impressive what Tesla has achieved, but the valuation is ridiculous. So a $45 billion valuation for Tesla is a $15 stock price, not a $300 stock price. So when you, when you consider all that, you consider the issues with Elon Musk saying things that aren't true. Um, you consider the fact that lead times have collapsed. We're looking at lead times um, in a backlog that is effectively equal to their production. 
And by the way, their production is being intentionally kept low, right? The, the Shanghai factory is running at roughly 90% capacity. Texas and Berlin are running at 10% capacity. Despite that fact, they're not even able to sell all those cars. I mean, there's people out there who are saying they're going to sell 20 million cars by 2030. That will require them to build a new $500,000 plant every single quarter, fully sold out, starting two quarters ago. It's clearly absurd. Anyone who believes that, for lack of a better word, um, I don't want to, that's just absurd. So I think the reality is setting in. Tesla's market share has collapsed in the U.S. It has collapsed in China. It's collapsed in Europe. And I think the competition is killing them. Look, I want to use an analogy. I think the right analogy for Tesla is, it's, I'm going to look at my notes. It's the net, net, next Netflix, right? Um, so the way that I want to explain this is, you know, um, we believe, you know, so, so what, what do we mean? So for years, Netflix had an absurd valuation based on pioneering, um, based on the pioneering position in the streaming media. But once it was proven that such a market existed, a myriad of competitors swarmed all over it, right? And this year, Netflix stock collapsed. And we learned that not only is Netflix no longer hyper growth, um, but for the first time since 2011, um, it actually lost subscribers. So, you know, I, I believe Net Tesla is similar. What I mean by that is you have VW, Hyundai, Kia, Ford, GM, Stellantis, BMW, Mercedes, BYD, and other Chinese competition. And, a and in a few years, Toyota and Honda being the Disney, HBO Max, Amazon Prime, Peacock, Hulu. Paramount Plus, et cetera, of the electric car market, stealing Tesla's share and eventually pounding its stock down 95% or so from today's levels into the valuation of just another car company. I think we're in the beginning innings of that happening. You have sell-side analysts saying things that in my view are ridiculous. There is no logistics issue, logistics issue based on the lead times. He used that same excuse in 2018. He said it was fixed. And I think you're going to see even tougher results for them um, in the fourth quarter. We could talk about Twitter if you want, but that's another dynamic. Yeah, that's another dynamic. I, I'm still on Tesla here. Now, one thing that you just stated, comparing them to Netflix. Now, one thing that I would say is maybe Netflix has their ad tier that's coming on out, but Tesla has two products, right? The semi-truck and the Cybertruck to be released next year. How do you feel about Tesla next year? Do you feel that they could actually have a down year even though they're releasing two products like this? Yeah, so I don't believe the semi-truck will ever be released because I don't believe the batteries, just think about this, right? If you just look at the Ford, uh, the, the, the F-150 Lightning, look at the range without towing and the range with towing. Like any, if you ask somebody in the semi-industry, right? Think about this, how long it takes to actually charge those batteries. My dad used to be a truck driver. Like it just doesn't, it never made sense. There, there's gonna be no Tesla semi-truck with lithium ion batteries. The technology just doesn't make sense. The, the price point would be way above what Tesla said. With respect to the Cybertruck, I think the price point is going to be egregiously high. And that market is already saturated with the Ford F-150, the Silverado Lightning. You got the Hummer EV. I mean, they're going to be last to market with the product that, in our view, is inferior. So I don't think those products are coming. But I think that's the genius, if you will, of Musk. He always has something further down the line that, oh, if the car company's struggling or if the valuation doesn't make sense, give us credit for this. Look. This is a car company. 95% of their revenue comes from selling cars. The other 5% comes from an energy division that has negative gross margins. So to say this isn't a car company is ridiculous. And people say, well, no, it's a software company. That's also ludicrous. They're dead last based on navigant consulting and full self-driving, autonomous technology. They report level two to California. That's what their lawyers say. There's other guys that are at level four and arguably level five. There's guys with robo-taxis, WAMO, um, Cruise, et cetera, on the road right now. 
Tesla does not have that. So they don't lead in uh, technology. They lag. They're very last. And with respect to their batteries, you know, everything they said at Battery Day was a sham, pretty much. Um, and we can talk about it if you want, it, that if you want. But it's like they do these days to pump these products that never come to fruition. Um, and, and, you know, their car sales, they haven't grown in three quarters. I think Q4 is going to be down versus um, a Q3. Um, and, you, you know, I think you're going to minus margin, you know, margin debilitating price cuts. Um, and I think that's becoming clear to everyone. Well, we're on the line here with Gordon Johnson. Thank you for staying a little extra. I got a couple more to get through here and then we'll get you on out of here, Gordon. Appreciate you sticking a little bit extra. Now, one of the recent tweets that caught my eyes and I know it probably caught your eyes was Elon about the Cybertruck and how it, it would be waterproof enough to serve briefly as a boat so it could cross <laughs> rivers, lakes and even seas uh, that aren't being too choppy. Of course, this came out during the hurricane. I don't know how much... Uh, Elon uh, Tesla has been known about uh, being marine technology, but what do you yeah. feel about this? Was this another exaggeration from Elon? I mean, you could call it an exaggeration. You could call it a lie. I mean, however you, but here's the facts, right? You put a lithium ion battery in water and typically um, there's not the possibility good that it erupts <laughs> into fire. So yeah. to recommend this, I think is, it's not just in my view absurd, uh, but it's potentially dangerous. Um, so, you know, he said this about the Model 3 cars um, and, you know, you had issues with, you know, running these things through car washes where, you know, the cars would leak and, you know, parts would fall off. So the idea that these cars can act as boats, uh, I, it's just, I mean, it's absurd. I mean, it's, and, and again, absurd and dangerous. Now let's go towards FSD. Now, of course, there's been some <laughs> recent development. Will Tesla ever get this project finished? Yeah, look, I think FSD is among the biggest deceptions slash, um, I don't want to, I don't know, one of the biggest deceptions in corporate history. I think it's been a massive failure on behalf of the NHTSA, uh, the National Highway Transport and Safety um, Association. I think it's been a huge disaster on the part of the NTSB. They've made recommendations that haven't been followed. And you go to teslades.com. Um, and it's been alleged that, you know, I think it's like 19 people have been confirmed or, um, you know, to, to have been killed associated with, um, you know, uh, Tesla's autopilot technology. Um, that's uh, teslades.com. That's what they allege. Um, look, they use cameras, right? The people who have robo-taxis on the road use cameras and LiDAR and radar. Tesla uses cameras. That technology um from the experts in the industry does not work and will never work. And if you look at the Hulu special that was done around the 2016 Paint It Black video, which by the way, Tesla still has on its website, where it says in bold words, the car is driving itself. The driver is only there for legal purposes. You know, that was a three minute video. We later found out that there were mass, that, that video was taped over 500 miles. There were multiple um, disengagements. Um, that's extremely deceptive. But you know, you watch that video, and you think, man, these cars can drive themselves. You know, I, I, I need to drive home from a bar. I'll let the car drive me home. And next thing you know, uh, potentially you're in an accident where you potentially end up in a fatal accident. Uh, look, I don't know how this ends because I, I believe our, our working assumption is that Tesla is above all laws. And it looks like the Twitter, Elon Musk agreed today to buy Twitter. It seems like maybe he's not above all laws. But our working assumption is he's above all laws. NHTSA will never do anything and they can do whatever they want. But the reality is, their competitors have robo-taxis on the road and report their miles to the California DMV because they're above level two. 
Tesla does not have one robo taxi on the road, despite the fact, by the way, that he promised a million by 20, what was it, 2020, and he used that promise to raise over a billion dollars, which that promise was completely false. Um, you know, uh, but they have zero robo taxis on the road and they don't report their miles to the DMV because they're level two. So it's just facts. I mean, some of this stuff is so egregiously absurd. It's like it's hard to understand given how highly this company is valued. But that's why we're so excited about this short. Last one here, Inflation Reduction Act and EV credits. How does that play into Tesla's strategy moving forward? Yes. Yeah, so everybody assumes that all of their cars are going to get those credits right now. The batteries for the Model 3, um, uh, the content and the batteries are made in China. Based on that dynamic, they would get none of that credit. Uh, and with respect to the Model Y, I assume they'll get the credit, but does it classify as an SUV, number one? And how much of the content is made in China, which is one of the key metrics as to how much money of the Inflation Reduction Act you're going to get. So I still think there's a lot of unknowns there. Um, but at the end of the day, if we're entering into a global recession, you know, I just don't think that the demand, you know, for $60,000 and above cars is going to be there. Historically, historically, that 60000 that luxury market, the biggest market share any automaker has ever gained is 15%. And then it stops. And Tesla is right at that 15% level. So I just think they've reached their maximum of about 1.3 million um, uh, units of demand for their cars. And I think as consensus realizes that, those massive multiples they're being valued at versus their peers are going to come down. So I think the stock's going to come, come under tremendous pressure. Well, thank you for joining me today, Gordon Johnson. I really appreciate it. GLJ, uh, GLJ Research here, founder and CEO. Like always, we'll come back to you, Gordon, to get some updates. And thank you for coming on today to Stock Market Movers. Hey, thanks for having me. Have a good one, Gordon. There you go. I'm going to wrap on up. Did a little bit of overtime. I wanted to go ahead and get you guys to head smash up those thumbs on up if we got a little bit of overtime going to get you now over to the roadmap that's coming on next hope that you guys appreciated me getting to gordon and asking some tough questions you know we want to hear what his thoughts are and i think that's an important outlook always knowing both sides of the coin is definitely i think the best way to approach investing and not only looking at it in one uh, bias, right? And so just a long bias. We'll, we'll go ahead and like always keep covering all the stories out in the market right here on Stock Market Movers where we get through all the headline and of course get to the expert opinions that you guys want to hear from. I'll see you next time right here on Stock Market Movers. I'm Money Mitch and up next, you guys got the roadmap action going towards some NFTs. Find out what is the latest action that's going on in the cryptocurrency and NFT environment. See you next time right here, Stock Market Movers.